Good morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I'm so glad that you are here with us this morning, both in the room and online. Um, you know, I knew about two months ago that I would be the one scheduled to preach on Easter Sunday. And that's a really weighty thing. Um, it's weighty any week that we are up here on this platform opening God's word um, for us. And I kept being asked both by my beloved spouse, Pastor Tyler, um, and, and others, what are you going to preach on that week? Like, we got a plan. What are you going to preach on that week? And, and I was like, very tongue-in-cheek minded. I was like, resurrection. I'm going to preach on resurrection. And, and lo and behold, I'm preaching on resurrection today, but not out of the familiar passage that we would normally have on Easter Sunday morning. Typically on Easter Sunday, we will read the passage that Pastor Emily read at our call to worship, and we will see Mary, and she is at the tomb, and she is, she is devastated because not only is her Jesus dead, but now he is missing. The tomb has been opened, and he is gone, and she does not know until the angel tells her he is risen. It is not that somebody has taken him, it is that he is alive. And then we would shift, and we would see her going to the disciples and telling them that Jesus is risen. And so while we're going to talk about resurrection today, we're going to do it from a bit of a, a backwards slant. We're going to be in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is an Old Testament book, um, and I don't know how much you know about the book of Ezekiel. Most people don't know very much about it, but just about everybody knows the story of the dry bones. There's songs about it. There's old spirituals about it. We sang one about it this morning. Most of us know this story of the dry bones, and so that's where we're going to start this Easter morning, is in this valley of death and decay and desolation in old bones. Ezekiel, all throughout his book, is speaking to the people of Israel. He's speaking to the people of God, and these people, they are living with a memory of this covenant relationship that they had with God. This God who had rescued them from oppression, this God who had made extraordinary promises about their place in the world and about who they were going to be and what they were going to do, this God who did all sorts of incredible miracles for them and in their midst. This people who because of their God had established a peaceful and prosperous nation in Jerusalem this people who expected that their God-given king was going to rule the world. This people. And yet Ezekiel, this people, who, who was supposed to be prosperous, Ezekiel is preaching to this group of people in a valley of dry bones in Babylon, not in Jerusalem, not in their peaceful, prosperous home, but as an exile in Babylon, a pagan nation, who wanted nothing to do with their God and didn't want them to have anything to do with him either. And so Ezekiel says right at the beginning of the chapter that we're going to read today, 37, he says, the Lord of the hand was on me. He brought me out by his spirit and he set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley and they were very dry. And then he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? 
can these bones live? Ezekiel, remember, was a prophet of God, but he too was living in exile. He too had been brought out from Jerusalem as an exile. For all of Ezekiel's history, he's thinking about this this prosperous, peaceful nation and how it all just went horribly wrong, how the walls of the city were destroyed, and then the city itself was destroyed, and then the temple of God was completely annihilated. And now huge chunks of the population, if they aren't dead already, have been exiled and might as well be dead. At least that's how they feel. They've been exiled to Babylon and to other pagan nations, and they are sitting at the rivers there weeping. They are weeping as Ezekiel is writing this and as God is pulling him out, wondering how they could have gotten it all so wrong, far away from home, alone, afraid, captive, without any hope. And if we fast forward to the New Testament, to our resurrection morning story, we find a similar picture. And although we didn't hear about it in the particular um, section we read today, we would find the disciples huddled up, scared, alone, confused, humiliated even. They fled during the crucifixion, afraid of what would happen to them as well. And I have to imagine that they too were wondering, where did this all go so wrong? How could we have gotten it this wrong? And I will tell you that there are days when I turn on the news and I scroll through my social media feed and I wonder to myself, how in the world did this all go so wrong? I have had dark days where I have sat alone and regretted mistakes I have made. I have been isolated alone and felt like I had lost who I was. We have all had those moments, many of us just in this last year alone. We have felt lost and poor and hungry and afraid. We have been people who have known darkness, like Ezekiel, like the people of God, like the disciples. We have known darkness. Being a Christian does not shield us from knowing darkness. It does not shield us from suffering or pain or lament. We have watched this year as a tiny little virus turned into a pandemic and filled the world with death and sickness and isolation. We routinely in our world see poverty and separated families. We see horrific acts of systematic injustice and of racism. We see division in families and in our own homes and in our communities and in our country in ways that we never imagined was possible. We have experienced darkness and lament and pain and sorrow in more ways than I could ever stand up here and name, but you know them, each of us knows them. And so maybe I thought this year of all Easter's, this would be the one to kind of shift from our normal story to be reminded once again that while we are people who have known darkness, we do not dwell in the darkness. We have been pulled out of the darkness. We are people of resurrection, of light. We are people who though we have known it, though we have been scarred, though we have been wounded, though we are wounded still, 
We are people that God has raised from the grave and breathed new life into. Because here's the thing, this prophecy from Ezekiel that we read earlier this morning and that we're going to go through here in just a minute was not just God's prophecy for Ezekiel. It was not just for Ezekiel to see this valley of dry bones and to see God do something really cool that only God can do. It was so much more than that. It was God's prophecy for the people exiled in Babylon. It was God's prophecy for Jesus. It was God's prophecy for us. Christ incarnate is the one who fulfilled that prophecy. God made flesh, lived, died, resurrected, is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And so we go back to verse 3 when God is saying, Ezekiel, can these bones live? As far as Ezekiel is concerned, with all of his experience in death and darkness and destruction, I'm pretty sure he's thinking in the back of his head, no, no way, these bones cannot live. There is not even anything about these bones that can provide life for something else. There's no meat, there's no flesh, there's nothing left on them even for the birds of the air to get life from. No one had ever heard of such of a thing, dry bones coming back to life. And yet here's what Ezekiel knows. Ezekiel was trained as a priest before Jerusalem fell, before he was exiled, he knows God. And as God's prophet, he knows that God knows way more than he could ever hope to. Only God knows whether God can raise these bones back to life. And so Ezekiel doesn't really give God an answer. He just kind of repeats the phrase, oh Lord God, you know, you know, I don't know, you know, God, you know whether you can raise these bones. And so God takes that and he commands Ezekiel. In verse 4, he says, say to the dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what God says, I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you and make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. You won't just hear it, you will know, you will know that I am the Lord. And so as soon as Ezekiel is commanded this, he does it, he obeys, he prophesies over these bones. And this passage tells us that through Ezekiel's obedience and the power of God, this valley of utter desolation, of utter destruction and death is changed. It's recreated into a valley of lived presence. The Lord alone can lay tendons on bones and flesh on empty skeletal frames and turn them into fully new, utterly alive and resurrected bodies. But I want us to see today before we move on, I want to make sure that you know that this is not just a single life that Ezekiel is prophesying to in this passage. Ezekiel didn't speak to just one set of bones. He spoke to all of them. In verse 10, it says this, I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them and they came to life, stood on their feet, a vast multitude. God was not out in this field with Ezekiel picking and choosing which sets of bones would get to live. 
He wasn't picking just the good ones, just the ones that, that lived a good life, just the ones that didn't get in a lot of trouble, just, just whatever the case may be. He raised all of them because God has the capacity to raise all of us, every one of us, friend and foe alike. The person that has hurt you the most still has the capacity to be raised by God to new life. All of us raised a vast multitude. Nothing is beyond God. There is no exile, there is no isolation that is beyond God. And so this becomes important for Ezekiel because at this point, God shifts things on him. Ezekiel is no longer talking to a valley of dry bones. He's talking to and about the people of Israel. God turns and says, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say our bones are dried up and our hope is perished. We are cut off. Remember what we said earlier, the people of Israel are in total destruction. They are in a land that is not their own. It might as well be one giant grave as far as the people of Israel are concerned. There is nothing good or life-giving for them in Babylon, nothing but death. And yet Ezekiel is hearing from God, not just what God is capable of doing with some bones in a valley, but what God is going to do with his people, that he is going to re-inhabit them. And so God says to Ezekiel, prophesy, say to the people of Israel, this is what the Lord God says, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves, bring you up from them. When I put my spirit in you, you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. This is the work of an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-redeeming, impossible-made-possible kind of God. He's going to pull us out of these graves. We may have put ourselves in these graves. Other people may have done things to us that left us wounded and alone and in these graves, but God is going to bring us back, put his spirit in us, put us on new soil, make us a new creation. I have spoken, God says, and because God has spoken, it is as good as done. God said it, that's it. God's not going back on God's word. And that's good news for us today because God was going to act on our behalf as well. God acted on our behalf at the cross. He acted on our behalf in the resurrection. Ezekiel may well have been one of the first of God's prophets to announce this wonder of a God who can bring death back to life. He may have been one of the first among God's prophets to venture into the arena of the untouchables, the, the decayed and the destroyed, the defiled, in order to speak life and to witness transformation. Ezekiel may have been one of the first among God's prophets to discern God's incredible ability to transform, to hear from the Lord and announce for him that death 
does not get the final word. He may have been one of the first, my friends, but he is not the last. Because every single one of us in this room this morning has the ability to testify to the resurrection power of God, to the resurrecting that he has done in our own life, that God has the last word over death, that death has been destroyed and God has complete victory forever. This, this resurrection symbol is corporate for us, for us as Christians, because it is not just that Christ has risen. It is not simply that, that he has risen and he has saved us. It is not simply that he has saved us and he has punched our ticket to this far-off heaven that we think about someday needing to worry about. No. The resurrection is about victory over sin and death that we are given now and tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. We have that power of resurrection every single day over the isolation and the darkness and the wounding over all of it. And so I wonder if maybe God is asking us this morning, if maybe God's asking me this morning, Carrie, can these bones live? Can your dry and weary and wounded and scarred bones live, Carrie? Do you believe that they can live? Do you believe that they can live? Each of you is being asked the question by God this morning, can can God make your dry bones live? Do you believe that he can do that for you? Because God is not merely interested in punching your ticket. Yes, God wants to be with you. Yes, he wants to live in eternity with you forever. But that is not what God is interested in. He's not merely interested in healing you and putting your parts all back together and giving you some joy and this good, comfortable life. Yes, God wants to give you joy and peace and heal you and put you back together. But resurrection is about so much more than that. It is a new life filled with God's spirit conquering sin and death. God became human. He put on flesh. He lived, he died, he resurrected in order to bring us with him. We are not just a bunch of saved corpses, my friends. We are not just a group of people who have individually been put back together. We are a community of resurrected people, alive with the light and the love and the life of Christ. We are a new creation. And as a part of the new creation, we get the privilege of ushering in the kingdom of God now. When Christ's resurrection took place, it ushered in the kingdom of God now, the kingdom of heaven now. And so God is asking us, do you believe that I can make your dry and weary and sin-stained bones live? And for me, the answer is yes. And I pray that for you, the answer is yes, too, because God can. God has decreed it. He has said it, and it is as good as done if we believe. 
and not only believe, but die. There is no Easter today. There is no resurrection. There is no life of Christian community without death. We have to die first. Christ died and he rose and we die to ourselves in order to be filled with him. We die to our expectations. We die to our wants and our needs and our self-life. We die to all of it in order to be filled with this absurd hope that he gives us. In order to be made new in unexpected freedom. In order to be placed into this new life that he has offered to us. We have seen the fulfillment of this vision that God gave Ezekiel. We have seen resurrection take place, and it was not just for Ezekiel, and it was not just for the disciples that Easter morning. It was for all of us. You know, the book of Ezekiel ends with 10 rather dry chapters. And in these chapters, Ezekiel is hearing from God all about this new land that God is going to place them in its boundaries, its measurements, who, which tribe gets which part, what the gardens are going to look like, how big to build the temple, what to do there, all of these things. God is setting this all up for them, and he's telling them all about this new and prosperous and peaceful place that he is going to put them. And at the very end, the very last thing that Ezekiel gets told by God, it is the very last verse, and it is of utmost importance for us today. God tells Ezekiel the name, tells him the name of this place that we are going to live, that the people of Israel, the people of God are going to make their home. The name of this new kingdom is Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is here. We are making our home and our place and our life and this new creation in the Lord himself. The Lord is here. He is here in this place. He is here within each one of us. He was there with Ezekiel and the exiles in Babylon. While they wept by the rivers, he was there. He was there with the disciples on Easter morning as they mourned their Jesus crucified and dead, not realizing what was about to take place. He was there in Jesus Christ crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected there as the church formed in its earliest days and spread the newness of life as the kingdom of heaven began to take root here and now in this space on this earth. He is here with us now. He is here desperate, willing, wanting to breathe new life into you his beloved, to each and every one of you. He promised that you would live. He promised that you would live, Debbie. He promised, Eric, that you would live. He decreed, Nancy, that you could be resurrected, that you, Samantha, are beloved, that each of us is worthy and able, no matter who we are or where we've been, to be resurrected. To have that rattling take place in our own lives, to have our hearts of stone 
turned into something new, into a new heart full of God and his love. He promised it to each of us. And so we walk in that promise this Resurrection Sunday. We walk in that promise through the rest of this year and the years to come, listening for the breath of God speaking into our lives, listening for the rattling of bones once dead and decayed that are being brought back to life within us. We listen for the rattling of that resurrection, that rattling that's taking place in our homes, in our kids, in our coworkers. We listen for it. We participate in it by coming together as a community of bones testifying that we were once dead and we are now alive again. That we were once isolated and exiled and separated, but we have been pulled from our graves, brought together in the newness of life in Christ. We are listening for this rattling and we hear it. We hear it in the sounds of faith and hope and love in courage and in joy and in peace. We hear it when we worship. We hear it in generosity. We hear it in the care of neighbor and stranger alike. It sounds like life, abundant, abundant life. And so as we pray together in just a minute, I want you to just close your eyes and listen. Listen for God's declaration over you as his beloved child brought back out of the grave. Listen for the rattling that God is doing within you, for the dead bones that you have not yet given up, that he wants to resurrect, for the wounds that you have not been willing to lay down so that he can heal them and make them something new. Listen for the new creation that he is doing in you, in your family, in your church. Listen, believe, know that God has spoken it and that he will do it. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your resurrection within us. God, I thank you for the ways in which you have resurrected me which you have turned my angry and wounded heart of stone into a new creation full of your love and your grace for myself and for others, for the ways in which you have healed. God, breathe over us in this space. Rattle the dead places within us that you want to bring back to life. Help us to hear, to listen, to believe, and to obey. May we know your resurrection in these moments and in the ones to come. In your name we pray.